It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, it's free. It comes directly to your smartphone or tablet every single day. So you don't have to go to the website, but you got to go to the website first to subscribe. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com and you can subscribe like that or on any of the podcasting platforms. Uh, also want to thank patrons of the show, people like Easy, Daniel, Lisa, Janet, Loretta, David, Stephen, David, Curtis, Sherry, and Nick. Thank you very much for uh, supporting the show as patrons. There are different levels, by the way, and everybody gets exclusive content, just different degrees of it. Uh, and uh, you get the live stream. We do Thursday night live stream. So uh, head on over to the com and become a patron. Uh, there's a link at the top of the page. Uh, also, I want to thank uh, sponsors of the program without whom we would not be able to uh, keep the show going. Obviously, Growers Hemp uh, is the newest addition to the roster. Growers Hemp, CBD products. Um, and uh, I take the full-spectrum hemp extract, uh, and I take a couple of drops under the tongue before I go to bed, and I fall asleep faster, and I don't wake up like groggy or anything. Like Some people are afraid if they take CBD oil uh, uh, for bed that uh, they're going to wake up as if they took a whole bunch of like those narcotics <laughs> that they sell, uh, you know, the sleep aids and such. It's not like that, okay? It's not like that. I've gotten enough people, and myself included, uh, that I, we can tell you, we can attest to this, like Carol Sue said that she felt well-rested. She did not toss and turn as much as she normally does. She says she's a morning person, and this did not interfere with her normal routine. She did not feel drowsy. She says it's nothing like taking a sleep aid. They have topicals as well, so if you're looking to get some you know, joint relief and that sort of thing, try the balm. It's fantastic. It's the bomb. The bomb is the bomb. Anyway, go to growershemp.com, use my name, Pete, and you'll get a 20% discount. I have to give you this disclaimer. GovCo requires it. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not confirmed, uh, been confirmed by the FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And nothing that I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Uh, I use Growers Hemp. These are North Carolina family farmers. They control the whole process from seed to shelf. You get better quality, lower pricing, and you're helping save North Carolina farms. And they're helping you on your wellness journey. Uh, again, growershemp.com, promo code Pete for 20% off from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. All right, so uh, a couple of developments over the last 24 hours on the school reopening front in North Carolina. So let me, uh, and just to recap here, uh, you know, the Senate had passed a bill forcing school districts to at least offer the option of in-person instruction. And then the governor vetoed. The Senate tried to override the veto. They were not successful because uh, two of the three Democrats uh, did not vote to override the governor's veto. One flipped his vote because the governor asked him to, he said, and then the other one just didn't show up to vote. So Senate leader Phil Berger, the president pro tem of the Senate, Phil Berger, said he was going to bring back this uh 
the veto override vote to try to get Ben Clark, who was the the uh, senator who wasn't there, who was also a co-sponsor of the bill, uh, to basically put him on the record and make him take this difficult vote. And uh, that's where it stood. And we were expecting some movement this week because the motion to reconsider the veto override uh, was it was passed very quickly. And uh, now, as of this recording, here we are Wednesday and there's still nothing to report. So what happened on Monday, just by way of background, um, what happened Monday was there was supposed to be a press conference at, I think, 3 p.m., just off the top of my head. And I was going to monitor it. And I thought that was going to be Tuesday's show was to talk about this, uh, you know, or at least part of the show. Uh, it did not happen because Senator Berger postponed that press conference. He announced it, I think, over the weekend. He postponed it uh, until yesterday, which was Tuesday. And he postponed it until 2 p.m. And uh, here is just uh, here, here was the announcement he made when he did actually show up uh, and the media showed up in person to do this press briefing. Uh, for the past week, we've been in direct negotiations with the governor on a school reopening compromise plan. Those negotiations are why we delayed yesterday's press conference. Our top priority is to provide local districts with the flexibility to return as many students as possible to full-time in-person instruction. I had resolved yesterday that today we would either announce a compromise deal or plan to move forward with a vote to override uh, Governor Cooper's veto of Senate Bill 37. At this time, all I can say is that we seem to be very close to an agreement in principle it is my hope that we can provide details of an agreement subject to final approval of language in a bill in the coming hours. Things could change, but we have made substantial progress. I'm cautiously optimistic that we will reach a deal very soon. Okay, so we expected something last night, something after this two o'clock news conference, the governor held a a 3 p.m. COVID briefing as he one of his normal briefings. And uh, he was also asked about this. He also refused to give any specifics, much like Berger did. Neither one said that they were going to give any details about any of the, the points that they were negotiating. Yes, we have been talking. I've been talking with Republican and Democratic legislative leaders. And uh, we are talking about the best way our students can get back into the classroom. I think we all share the goal of getting our children back to in-person in the classroom. Uh, I think on February the 3rd, I stood here encouraging schools to go back in. Uh, We want to make sure that it is done safely, but our numbers continue to improve and uh, look forward, hopefully, to coming to some time uh, some kind of agreement. I have not seen, actually seen legislation yet, and I look forward to uh, looking at that and hopefully getting to somewhere that uh, we can we can announce soon. Okay, so uh, it, it was like now 20 hours later, still nothing. And then as I uh, was uh, actually, you know, started recording the podcast, uh, I get a press release from uh, State Senate Leader Phil Berger's office that says there is an announcement on school reopening plans. It's going to be at 11 a.m. And just by way of background, uh, I do the recording of the podcast at 10 a.m. It's generally when I try to start recording, 10 a.m., and uh, and then get the thing, you know, buttoned up, packaged, and out the door sometime by noon. It's about a two-hour process. 
So um, that's sort of the timeline I'm working on right now. Uh, they have not held the news conference, but by the time uh, we get to the end of the podcast, <laughs> they will. I know this sounds weird, but uh, so I'm going to hopefully give you an update at the end of the podcast. Okay, so the um, I am curious, and I hope somebody asks at this briefing if they're going to allow it. Which, by the way, kudos to the Republican leaders in the General Assembly because they were actually able to get Governor Roy Cooper to attend an in-person event. That's it's, a, it's an achievement. It really is. The guy who is directing all of us on how we can gather safely uh, still hasn't been able to figure out how to meet with the media in person, even though he's now been vaccinated. Anyway, um, the governor did his COVID briefing. Oh, I was going to say, I, I hope somebody asks the, uh, uh, the Senate leader, Phil Berger, and or Governor Cooper, um, you know, what happened between Monday and Tuesday, because he uh, Berger was supposed to do the press conference on Monday afternoon. And then uh, he said he had resolved in that soundbite I played for you. He said he had resolved to, uh, you know, to make an announcement of some kind on, on Tuesday, the day after. So something had happened on Monday where he was like, you know what, I'm like, he, he, it sounds like he gave a deadline or an ultimatum of some kind because they were at some sort of impasse. I'm curious what that would be and how did it get resolved? And then they kept on negotiating past, uh, I guess, whenever timeline he thought they were going to be done by. And that's why we're now doing this on a Wednesday at 11 a.m. rather than, you know, a Tuesday at 5 p.m. So that's the uh, I'll be watching. And like I said, by the end of the podcast, hopefully we'll have some uh, the, we'll have the information for you. I know it's like it's almost like breaking news, but not really like breaking news because it's a podcast which is recorded. OK, so the governor does his press briefing, as I mentioned, his covid briefing, uh, and he started it off the way he starts off every press briefing uh, where he goes over the case counts, the number of deaths, the new cases and the hospitalizations. Right. And this is his running tally, these metrics that he provides. And uh, so just for the record here, because I haven't done the numbers, because I don't I don't feel the need to constantly be tracking the numbers like this for you, because uh, I don't do that for any other illness. So I don't feel like I need to do it for this illness because it paints a myopic view, a limited view of the totality of the situation. That's why I don't focus on these metrics like he does and a lot of other media outlets do. Like you go to most uh, news organizations, you go to their websites and they've got like a death count tracker going. So uh, although some did, yes, that's true. Some did take it down when Biden first got into office. That's Fair. They, they did take that down. Uh, so the number of cases in North Carolina is now approaching 876,000 cases, and there have been 11,552 deaths. New cases since the day prior is under 1,000, 997, which is uh, a number that we haven't seen in like five or six months. And the number of hospitalizations is likewise down to a number that's like, you know, from September, October time frame. Now, Cooper did not. He also, by the way, the, the big announcement, because they always try to have like a theme. They always try to have a story that they're trying to push at these briefings for the media to focus on as the story. And so uh, their theme for yesterday's briefing was all the vaccinations that they have done and how they've done it 
in a racially aware way, making sure that uh, black people are getting the shots at a, uh, a rate that is proportionate to their population at large. Now, Hispanics, not so much. Uh, they're not doing so well among Hispanics. And they said that there's a lot of fear there and they're trying to you know, make everybody uh, aware that, uh, no, they're not going to report you to ICE. When they if you come in for the shot, they want you to get vaccinated. This is not a ruse to deport you. OK, that's they, they sent that message as well. And they have been sending that message, by the way, for a while. So Governor Cooper uh, says they have now vaccinated one point one million people in North Carolina uh, and uh, that there are eight million adults in the state. So one point one million uh, vaccinations. That's full vaccinations. So like some of these vaccines, you know, they've got like the two shot regimen. You you got to go back like three or four weeks later or whatever and get the second shot um, that they are. We are now at a point where over a million people have gotten this. Now, he did not add in this other number, but I will add in this other number of eight hundred thirty seven thousand eight twenty four. I add that number in because that's the number of people who had it and have recovered. They have already had it. They are immune, right? They've got the antibodies. They count as essentially vaccinated. So add in the 837,000 to the 1.1 million, and you're at about 2 million people now. So 2 million people out of the 8 million adults, you're talking, what, one out of four, right? So one out of four people are now vaccinated, immune. They pose no threat to you. 25% guarantee, basically, right? You know that they are not carriers. And Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, she said she got her shot. She just got the one shot. This is the new one from Johnson & Johnson, which I I think I also understand that it it, it won't make babies cry in the bathtubs either. It's Johnson & Johnson. I'm just kidding. It's a shampoo joke. Anyway, well, see, that's why you come here, right? Do you get shampoo jokes? on other shows? Probably not. There's probably a reason for it, probably a pretty good reason, but um, let's not focus on that. Let's let's focus on Mandy Cohen getting her shot. She got the Johnson & Johnson shot, which uh, is one shot, not two. And uh, she says supplies are still limited compared to the demand, although production has been ramping up and our allocations have continued to increase. The good news is that the supplies of the vaccine are improving overall. We are fortunate that we have three vaccines that protect people from COVID-19 and most importantly, keep them out of the hospital and prevent death. Yesterday, the CDC shared some new guidance on ways those who are fully vaccinated, that means either two doses of the Pfizer and Moderna or taking the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, can safely return to certain activities. People who are fully vaccinated can get together with other fully vaccinated people without wearing masks and can gather with one unvaccinated household, assuming those who are unvaccinated are at low risk. It's important to note that people who have been vaccinated still need to wear masks when they are in public settings and around those who are not (laughs) vaccinated. Why? I'm looking forward to hugging my parents for the first time in more than a year. They are now fully vaccinated and will be visiting at the end of the month. If you're looking forward to hugging your loved ones again, 
I encourage you to get vaccinated when it's your turn. Okay, so this is a problem with the CDC guidelines. And uh, I don't know if you saw this clip of Dr. Anthony Fauci making the rounds um, where he's talking about this, you know, the CDC and they're taking these baby steps and, you know, uh, 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 towards reopening and, you know, limited gatherings and all this stuff. Like, look, guys, I understand it's a novel coronavirus. It's new, but uh, your messaging is terrible. It's just terrible. Noam Bloom, uh, who is the associate editor of Tablet Magazine, uh, he says, we can, uh, we're continuing to issue almost all of the same restrictions for vaccinated people until we're super extra sure everything okay is not a good message. It will not convince people to avoid those activities or to quickly get vaccinated. Fauci is terrible at public relations. Just terrible. Right. Think about this. If you're telling me that when I get the vaccine, I still have to mask up in public and I still uh, can't go out and hang out with people like I'm immune now. What kind of a message? Why bother getting it then? Well, we got to wait till everybody gets it. Really? Why? Why do I have to wait for you to get the vaccine if I'm immune? I can't give it to you and you can't get it from me. Why? This doesn't make any sense. This, I, I think what part of it, I, I think a large part of this is they need the COVID relief bill to pass Congress. One point nine trillion dollars. I outlined some of the lowlights of this thing the other day on the show. I think they need this to get through Congress before they start easing all these restrictions. I, I think that's really what's going on, because it's hard to justify a massive relief package if we don't have all of these restrictions still on us. Just just spitballing here. What do I know? I'm just a little old podcaster. I do know this. If I'm buying or selling a home, then I use Rowena Patton. I do know that. I've known that for years. Even when I, Christy and I, we're now buying our house. It's been a while since we've owned our, uh, a home, but um, we knew we only needed one phone number to call, and that was Rowena's when we started the uh, process of buying. And we've gone back and forth. We first were looking at existing homes, then we thought about building our own from scratch, and uh, we settled on actually sort of in the middle, a hybrid model, a plan B, if you will. It's uh, build to suit. It's a neighborhood that's under construction, and we got one of the last lots, and they're going to build, like, we got to pick a floor plan, and we get to pick some fixtures and stuff. And we had never done this before. But we had Rowena and her team, the All-Star Powerhouse team, to help guide us through this process. They will help you as well. Buying or selling, 333-4483. Give her a call. She has homes in all price points and buyers lined up. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. Rowena Patton's phone number is 828-333-4483. Give her a call and then start packing. So a question that I have uh, seen Chad Adams, I call it the Chad Adams question because Chad Adams is a... uh, He's a talk show host in Wilmington, and he has been asking this question for months, which is, when is the pandemic over? When do we know it's over? According to Governor Cooper, right, we North Carolina is one of the states that's on the strictest of lockdowns still. And so when does the when do the metrics, the data, the science and the facts like what are the the measurements he's looking at that then would tell him Okay, pandemic's over. Nobody has asked this uh, this question in a year. It's always about, uh, well, when when would you be able to ratchet up the restrictions? When might you be able to ease back on the current level that we're at? Could we go back down? And 
He's always said the same thing. Well, I'm going to rely on the health experts and the science and the data and the facts and everything else. But he never gives us a number. This is becoming more and more obvious and more and more uh, indefensible, in my opinion, because we are now at a point where the numbers are are shrinking. Right. You've got uh, levels of the spread that are at, you know, pre-fall levels. And uh, we know that the what the 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 case fatality rates like one percent infection fatality rate less than one percent. The risk to the vast majority of people is minimal. The most vulnerable people have gotten most of the shots, like more than half of the most vulnerable populations. They've gotten the shots. We are rapidly approaching herd immunity and we are owed an explanation of when the pandemic ends. You need to tell us very soon, if not already, I think he should have already, like when we get to this number, then all these restrictions go away. We are still in lockdown. Think about that. We're still in a partial lockdown in this state. Even though the science and the data and the facts, they show that the lockdowns cause more harm than benefit. So uh, will anybody ask him this? What is the metric that he's using to determine when the pandemic would be over? What is the metric and what does it need to be? What All of these different groups. As I said, I call it the Chad Adams question. But yesterday at this briefing, finally, somebody got close to asking this, and it was WRAL's Ashley Talley. As far as the numbers that you're referencing that continue to go down, we've seen states across the country, including just south of us in South Carolina, doing away with mask mandates and all of that. Is there a certain um, number or one of our metrics that you're looking at when you think North Carolina may make those changes? And what do you think of our neighboring states doing so? Oh, see, again, just ask the one question. By asking that second part, you give him an option now to address that and then ignore the first part. We're going to listen to health officials, and health officials across the board uh, continue to want to make sure that we have a mask mandate in place, that we wear masks to protect each other and ourselves. Uh, We're still working on getting people vaccinated. Our numbers are lower. That is great, and we need to keep working to make sure that our prevention efforts are in place. So we don't, uh, we don't intend to lift the mask mandate in North Carolina and uh, look forward to even better numbers and more progress ahead as we get more people vaccinated. We don't intend to lift the mask mandate in North Carolina. Now, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here and say that there's a second half that he just didn't say to that sentence, which is something like, You know, we're not going to lift the mask mandate now or we're not going to lift the mask mandate until it's safe or something. I'm going to assume that that's what he meant to say, but just did not say, because surely you don't expect the citizens of the state to stay with a mask mandate forever because that's insane. That would be insane. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying that not right now. He meant like not now and, you know, not until we have the science and the data and the facts. Oh, my. And science and data and facts. Science and data, like the mantra that we must, the incantation that we must utter. Um, So I assume that's what he meant to say. But either way, he didn't answer the question. She asked, 
Is there a certain number or one of our metrics that you're looking at that you think North Carolina might make those changes? He doesn't answer. And he also didn't answer the second part of her question either. He just talked about how health experts want us to keep the mask mandate. Well, what about the other states, by the way? Right? He says he's not lifting the mask mandate. It's not her question. Um, and he kept referencing these health experts as guiding his decisions. He does this all the time in all of his answers. We still don't know, actually, who those people are. Aside from Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, we don't know who these experts are. Um, who, are the, who are the experts that are saying we need to reopen the schools? Because I know some of them. They're actually publishing research that says you need to do that. And there's uh, one here. There's, a, there's a, uh, an editorial, sorry, an op-ed that some of these researchers put out into USA Today because the CDC pandemic guidelines that they just issued, um, didn't, they say it, it um, misrepresented our data on school reopenings. So what about those health experts? Are you listening to them? How about the ones that say the masking isn't really effective or the social distancing isn't really effective? Are you listening to them? Um, Do you get that kind of advice? Or how about this, that the lockdowns you have been imposing and continue to impose cause more harm than benefit? Are you listening to any of those experts? We don't get those questions. Nobody's ever asked him to defend any of this ever. Nope. Nobody in the media has ever challenged him from an assumption that what he has done has made things worse. Um, he was asked about the proposed bills. Uh, there are several of them, different kinds, about reopening bars and restaurants to open at full capacity. He was asked, would you oppose those bills? Well, we have an executive order in place that has bars at 30 percent uh, capacity indoors and more than that outdoors with appropriate masking and social distancing. We're listening to the health officials. There it is again. And looking at our numbers. If we continue to make progress, we hope to uh, ease restrictions in future executive orders. We're going to continue to encourage people to wear masks and be responsible because that's the way we can keep our numbers down until people are fully vaccinated. So uh, we're, we're getting there. And I think uh, when you look at North Carolina's numbers, and I think we've saved lives by the actions that we have taken and look forward to hopefully the legislature working with us to help get us through this pandemic and hopefully we can get on the other side of this soon. Okay, so two things. Number one, he says he wants the legislature to work with us, which means doing what he says. Because he doesn't he's not interested in working with the legislature unless they do what he wants them to do. Also, that part where he says, I think we've saved lives by the actions we have taken. A great follow up to that would have been, okay, well, do you think any of your actions have cost lives? Because that's what the science says what the data and the facts say, that lockdowns cause more harm than benefit. More kids have died from suicide since the lockdowns than have died from COVID. Does that data matter? Do you think that your actions to close the schools, which it was his action to close the schools, he issued an executive order that shut down all the schools. And now he pretends that he has no authority to force schools to reopen. Now it's all a local control issue. It's all up to the locals. But the very premise of his executive order is that the locals cannot handle this. 
And so that's why he has to make these executive orders. It's the premise upon which every executive order has been written, that locals are unequipped or ill-equipped to respond to the nature of this pandemic. Therefore, he needs to be in charge of it. And everybody needs to do what he says as one person, which is the antithesis of our uh, of our uh, governing formula in America. Um, you can hear it in the answer uh, there as well. There is no defined goal either as to um, at what he at what point he's going to declare the pandemic to be over. He he makes reference to it again. Oh, I hope I'll be able to ratchet down some of the restrictions later. Hopefully we can ease them later. Like we're all sitting here waiting. Oh my gosh, will he give us back our freedoms? Now, if you're the kind of person who bristles at that kind of mentality, then uh, I want to recommend you go check out Old Grouch's military surplus (laughs) in downtown Clyde uh, on Main Street. Old Grouch's military surplus. Uh, He's got tons of real U.S. military surplus, so this is quality stuff, obviously. He can help you build a first aid kit for all of your outdoor adventuring or your go bag or prepper kits. He's got ammo cans. Um, He said he uh, recently sent me a message saying he just got a huge batch of them in. Um, He says, like ammo and guns, they're getting harder to get. Ammo cans come in all sizes. They're functional. They're pretty cool, too. Uh, they're storage solutions for the shed, for the garage, for the vehicle, for anywhere, basically. Uh, he also has tons of gun accessories, slings, magazine pouches, other accessories. Uh, so if you are among the record number of new gun owners, let Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus help you outfit it with some of the essential accessories Old Grouch's Military Surplus. As I said, downtown Clyde on Main Street. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and uh, always online 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. And remember, tell him that you heard it here on the program. I appreciate that. So when the CDC issued its latest set of guidelines... A lot of people were disappointed, to put it mildly, according to Jazz Shaw at HotAir.com. The revised rules were particularly wishy-washy on the subject of reopening schools, leaving far too much wiggle room for the teachers' unions to keep them closed far into the future or running virtual learning instead of going back to the classrooms. What Dr. Fauci and the leaders of the CDC probably didn't count on was being challenged on the science that they were supposedly relying on to guide them. And the challenge in question isn't coming from any armchair quarterbacks either. Dr. Tara Henderson, Dr. Monica Gandhi, Dr. Tracy Haig, and Dr. Daniel Johnson, four of the doctors who conducted one of the major studies of the pandemic in Wisconsin, and it was their work being cited by the CDC when it issued these guidelines. And so now they put out an editorial criticizing the CDC for misinterpreting the data and calling for all schools to be reopened for in-person classes. Here's what they wrote, quote, the recent school reopening guidance released by the CDC is an example of fears influencing and resulting in misinterpretation of science and harmful policy, keeping schools closed or even partially closed based on what we now, uh, now know is unwarranted This is harming children and has become a human rights issue. Hear that? Keeping schools closed or even partially closed. They're saying open it all up. Full calendar, in-person instruction, all of it. They note that the children are the least likely to suffer poor outcomes from COVID um, as of March 3rd. 
286 children have died from COVID as compared to more than half a million adults. That is on par with the number of children who die from pneumonia every year. Did you know that? It's about the same. COVID and pneumonia, children's deaths, same number. And at this point, we're losing more kids to suicide than we are to the novel, uh, the novel coronavirus. Transmission rates in schools are shockingly low. They say that there's no data to support the need for six feet of social distancing in school, a requirement that blocks almost every school from fully reopening. This is what the NCAE, uh, the North Carolina affiliate of the National Education of uh, uh, National Educators Association, the NEA union. Uh, this is what they've been uh, 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 building all of their argument against reopening around is the social distancing component. That's what Governor Cooper has been doing. I mean, of course, Cooper's been doing it. If the NCAE is saying it, then Cooper's saying it, too. OK, that's just <laughs> a given. OK, so what are you going to do in order to, uh, you know, to break this mindset that uh, these folks have about the six feet of social distancing? Because I suspect that what they're about to announce on this deal between Cooper and Berger to get the schools reopened, I suspect that uh, it's going to include some sort of hybrid schedule and six feet of distancing. Meanwhile, you've got the CDC issuing guidelines based on this research, and the researchers are saying, uh, no, six feet of social distancing at school is not necessary. The doctors provide data showing that three feet of separation is fine. The reason that the politicians and their servants at the CDC are being too timid about the requirements to reopen the schools is they're afraid of and beholden to the teachers unions. And the unions don't want to return to class until a list of demands is met that includes things that are not even required based on the data. Right. These same people who have been saying, follow the data, follow the science are now all of a sudden not relying on the data and the science. I thought this was interesting. The UTLA, which is the United Teachers Union of Los Angeles County, um, they have a private Facebook group and somebody took a screenshot where uh, the teachers were warning uh, each other not to post on social media if they go on spring break vacations because the optics would be bad for them while the union is refusing to return to unsafe in-person schooling. <laughs> so, hey, teachers, if you guys are going out partying for spring break, don't post the pictures because people are going to use it against us because, you know, we're saying it's unsafe to be around any other human beings and it might look, make us look like raging hypocrites. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the most absurd aspect of all of this, according to Ryan McMakin at Mises.org, is that even when public schools effectively tell parents and students to get lost, taxpayers still have to pony up the cash for the public schools. If any private sector industry tried to function this way, it would be denounced in no uncertain terms. Uh, but it doesn't happen this way in the private sector. Why? Because unlike in the public sector, business owners and employees don't get paid if they refuse to work. In other words, the customers can take their money and leave. This disconnect between the taxpaying public and the public schools has always existed, but the COVID-19 panic has made it far more obvious to the general public. He says the time has come to finally allow parents and taxpayers to pull their money out of these unresponsive and expensive boondoggles. 
He talks about uh, Catholic schools that have been open, many of them 100% open since last fall, with, and they're only seeing uh, less than 1% of students and less than 4% of staff members testing positive over the entire fall semester. Uh, most Catholic schools are run-of-the-mill archdi- uh, archdiocesan schools that uh, they charge under $9,000 per year. Uh, and even less for elementary schools. So the idea that this is like, oh, you got to be uber wealthy to go to these schools, it's not necessarily true. Although, yes, it's still nine grand a year. Um, and that's that may seem like a lot of money, but it's actually well below what we spend per pupil in North Carolina. So it's pretty obvious what needs to happen here, right? These hapless parents who have been driven to private schooling by the public schools covid shutdowns they're paying twice once for the public schooling that's been reduced uh, reduced to zoom meetings and another for the actual schooling taking place at the private schools he then runs through the, it's and i've got this linked up at the patreon page at the uh the uh, pete's prep post um he runs through a um a th- i think a pretty good comparison of grocery stores what if we operated grocery stores like we do schools and everybody just automatically like just me saying that you're like well that's ridiculous right well think of it this way if we ran schools the way we ran grocery stores with vouchers what are food stamps do we need to call these things like school stamps if we call them school stamps will the left be okay with it because right now, we give you the, the food stamp or the EBT card, right? We give you this this food assistance and you can then, or SNAP, I guess it is now. We give you this uh, assistance and you get to go to the store of your choice, right? Why can't we do that with education? Why does that model so frighten? I know the answer to this question. <laughs> it's power. It's about power. That's why it's so frightening. Now, if buying a new mattress is kind of frightening to you, it does not need to be frightening. Go see our friends at Mattress Man. These are trained professional sleep consultants. They go through extensive training for like six weeks. They learn all about all the different kinds of mattresses from inner spring to memory foam to pillow top and natural latex mat. I had so I had no idea what some of these mattress kinds were. They're like the technology is getting like so advanced um, that uh, like you do need an expert to help guide you on some of these decisions because how you sleep, the position you sleep in, it's going to affect what kind of mattress is best supportive of your style, of your sleep style. So let them help you. Any of their four locations can do that. Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. If you want to peruse the inventory, go to their website, mattressmanstores.com. You can also get details on all of the flexible financing options that they've got. Uh, You can buy now, sleep on your mattress right away and pay it off with your tax refund. You can take advantage of their their triple zero deal, zero down, zero interest for 24 months, zero payments for 90 days. Um, So because they believe that getting a good night's sleep is so important that if you've got you know bad credit or a ding or two in your credit report, that should not block you from getting a good night's sleep. They want to work with you, okay? So go to mattressmanstores.com or go into any of their four locations, tell them you heard it here, and get yourself a new mattress. Let them help you find the right bed for you. Five-star delivery service, 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. The times you live in leave their mark on you, says Michael Brendan Dougherty at the National Review. He says, COVID times have left a mark on me. They have repainted a libertarian streak on my politics. We've had a year-long experiment in sacrificing liberties for a common national purpose. 
He goes on to say that the language of shared burden and sacrifice is soaked into COVID politics and regulations. It's also been an excuse for bullying, harassment, and ultimately self-gratification. In the most hysterical form, individual decisions not to wear a mask or to attend some event or to travel somewhere are conflated with indifference to mass murder. Instead of shared sacrifices and relearning how the different parts and sections of our society depend on each other for our health and security and prosperity, something much more sinister has happened. Our most privileged class immediately captured the language of communitarianism and turned it into the means of copper fastening their own position in society. Uh, Word of the day, copper fastening. It's, It's Irish. It's an Irish term, apparently, to make a bargain or agreement binding. Our most privileged class immediately captured the language of communitarianism and turned it into the means of binding their own position in society. And that is true. This is why they talk in terms of like, uh, you know, why, you know, your mask protects me and mine protects you. and We all need to pull together. And it's like all of this, like community. Yes, we're all in this together. Remember that? We're all in this together while I work from home and have you deliver my, uh, my goods to me. Bring me my food. <laughs> the white collar class has simply retreated into an exaggerated form of the life that they were already living, where they manipulate the world with their finger and their phone, ordering their supplies from Amazon Prime through their uh, or get their food through apps like Grubhub and DoorDash and Seamless and their entertainment through Apple TV. Wherever power exists in our society, it has leveraged the crisis and the talk of common good for its own ends. He says outdoor transmission is rare, but beachgoers have been shamed, right? Outdoor ceremonies, even funerals got prohibited by law. Uh, Outdoor gatherings were banned precisely at a time when it was known that the disease transmits in poorly ventilated indoor spaces among out-of-shape people who are vitamin D deficient. So people should have actually been encouraged to spend more time outdoors. But the other other sinister feature of COVID communitarianism has been the condescension of our authorities, he says. The truth about COVID uh, or the latitude to take one's own risks was always assumed to be too dangerous because even medical professionals understand that risk assessment during a pandemic especially with like a brand new disease, that this is hard. Risk assessment is hard. They didn't want to offer any solid guidance, though, for doing it. This is what I kept hammering away for months, saying this is what our health officials need to be talking about is the risk assessment for the different age groups and different comorbidities. But instead, regulation piled on top of regulation. Masks weren't just for when you couldn't social distance. Now they're for all the time. Now some health authorities are still urging double masking for people who have already been vaccinated. Why? Because the risk aversion of experts is held to be infinitely more valuable than the freedom of everybody else. He says, in my adult life, I've never been confused with a libertarian. And at the deepest level, I can't even say I'm a classical liberal. I believe shared sacrifices are necessary that some national moments require national responses. But this past year, he says, has chastened me and made me wish that more school districts, parishes, synagogues, states, and individuals had been given the latitude and the tools to make better judgments for themselves. We needed more decentralization, 
more free flow of information, and more open contention. The rightly ordered liberty of the individual is part of the common good, and I'll never forget it again. While I've been going over this, the uh, governor and the General Assembly leaders have uh, announced their deal. Here it is. Elementary school, uh, yeah, all elementary schools will be required to open under Plan A, which is full-time in-person learning. Middle schools and high schools will have the option to open under Plan A or Plan B. Okay, so elementary schools got to offer in-person instruction. And according to the governor during the press conference, uh, he says that that was what kicked off all of the talks was he apparently called up Senate leader Phil Berger and said, hey, maybe we should all you know, maybe we should get all the kids in elementary school back in class five days a week. And that's what opened the uh, the door for these discussions, because the science is brand new on all of this, of course. So elementary schools plan a in person plan a. Now, middle schools and high schools, they have the option of going plan A or plan B, which has more social distancing, right? The plan B option. Remember, plan A, the social distancing stuff, this was this was what they objected to being used in the middle and high school levels because there wasn't enough space between the people, right? This six foot distancing, which, as I mentioned a moment ago, would be impossible for most schools to be able to adhere to. Because the school buildings were not built for six-foot spacing between every person. No building has been built like that. So, well, I guess maybe, yeah, well, maybe some of those, what, old peep show buildings or something in Times Square. Those, okay, anyway. Uh, Governor Cooper would be able to put restrictions on a school district, if needed, in response to the coronavirus pandemic. So he'll be able to lock down a district, to close down the schools again. Gone from this is the school district's ability to do it, which is odd because he made all of these arguments about local control. They're out the window. He was asked, and I believe it was our friend A.P. Dillon at the North State Journal, why didn't you just do this as an executive order? Because now the timeline here is it's going into committee in mere moments as I'm speaking right now uh, in about 15, 20 minutes, it's going to go into a committee in the Senate. They're going to run it through very quickly because everybody has been uh, negotiating this. You've got Democratic leadership, Republican leadership, the governor's office. Everybody has been involved in this. So this thing is going to get is going to sail right through. Okay, it's going through committee. It's going to go to a a floor vote in the Senate uh, at four o'clock this afternoon. Then it's going to make its way over to the House where the Speaker of the House anticipates a vote very quickly as well. And Cooper says that he hopes to sign it this week. Okay, this is Wednesday. (laughs) So they're talking two to three days, maybe two and a half days here. That's how fast they're going to run this thing through. Schools under Plan A would be required to partner with the ABC Science Collaborative to share anonymous data. The ABC Science Collaborative, you may recall, this is the uh, the deal from UNC and Duke University. These were the folks who did all of the research a couple of months ago that found there was like no transmission in these schools. And it was that information that allegedly prompted Cooper to say, Hey, you know what? We should we should really uh, open schools. I'm not going to tell you to do it, but I urge you to do it. When 
Andrew or uh, AP Dillon asked the governor, why wouldn't you just do an executive order? You shut the schools down. You reopened the schools under plan B. Right. So you did this under executive order. Why not do this under an executive order? And you know what he said in response? He says it had to be a cooperative effort, which is utter crap. It did not. Now, all of a sudden, this has to be a cooperative effort. Why? Nothing you have done has been a cooperative effort on your executive orders. It is utter BS. I'm trying very hard not to run afoul of FCC rules here. Um, well, because the sh- it's a podcast, yes, but it goes up to, you know, the radio station. So I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get them in trouble here. Um, the, it's just utter garbage, okay? He could have he lifted the restriction or lifted his executive order, which would have lifted all of those restrictions. And then that would have required the schools to be reopened. There is nothing different in the operation of the schools under this deal than there was under uh, Senate Bill 37. There aren't any new guidelines. There aren't any new distancing requirements. There's nothing about, you know, replacement of HVAC systems, right? All of the open, safely crowd arguments, none of that is taken care of here. Yet, all the Democrats have signed on. All the Democrats are like, this is what it looks like when we work together. <laughs> yeah, I might want to send the message up to your pals in Congress because right now they're steamrolling everything through the House and the Senate. And they've got a tie in the Senate 50-50. Well, but they do have the vice presidency, and so that gives them a one-vote majority. You see, so that means they can do whatever the hell they want, right? They can they can completely dismantle all national election laws uh, in every state, right? Federalize elections, basically. Uh, they're running a bill right now, which is a, a complete... Uh, gift to the teachers unions um, that would eliminate uh, eliminate uh, secret votes in unionization efforts, the card check. It would require people to pay union dues, even if they're not in the union. And if you don't want to be in the union, you can be fired from your job. Um, they're getting rid of right to work laws in states like North Carolina. They're going to mandate collective bargaining in all states. Right. So they're going to empower the very unions that they are beholden to and that have cost all of these kids their education for the last year. That's what they're doing at the national level. But here, because they got an, a bit, they got a, uh, an opportunity to save face and not be uh, displayed as the handmaidens for the teachers union. Oh, now it's all about cooperation. Now we need to work together. <laughs> yeah, you're in the minority. You've got the governor's veto, and that's really what this comes down to, is the governor's veto. He is a, So he is a lame duck governor, and that's true. But he's the only reason Democrats have any power to stop anything right now. And it only works if they all stick with him. That's what's going on, right? So they're going to try to protect him for as long as possible because otherwise they have no power. That's what's going on. And uh, the timeline on this rollout, by the way, is like 21 days. School districts are going to have to uh, do this by uh, within 21 days. But if school districts are ready to go earlier than that, they are free to do so. Uh, so I'll break down a lot more of this. And I've got the audio from the press conference. We'll probably uh, uh, go more in depth on this uh, for tomorrow. Um, by the way, what are you doing tomorrow? You got plans? Make a plan to go over to General Equipment Rental. For real, they have got a great sale going on right now, and you're only going to find out about this because the General Equipment Rental folks, General Equipment Rental is your official Husqvarna 
outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. And what that means is they know all of the deals. And here is a deal. You can put two of these together. Uh, the first one is uh, 25% off the manufacturer's suggested retail price, the MSRP. So you take 25% off of a nine-point fleet item. Okay, so that's one deal. And then uh, the second deal is you can get a $1,000 instant rebate when you purchase a V548 or V554. These are stand-on mowers. So when you put these two deals together, though, it's a total savings of $3,500. So you get legendary Husqvarna power, performance, and reliability. The Husqvarna V500 series, these stand-on mowers, these things are awesome. So if you've got a fleet that you're looking to upgrade or replace a couple mowers, there isn't a better time to do it than right now at General Equipment Rental. Okay, tell them, I heard about the deal on Pete's show, and uh, go take advantage of it. Now, maybe you got a really large piece of property, you're a residential homeowner, uh, and uh, you want it for your house. You want it for your uh, your property. That's fine, too. Like, I'm not judging. You can totally get a commercial piece of equipment for your residential uh, yard needs. That's fine. Think it over. Not too long, because the offer ends April 30th. Uh, General Equipment Rental, you can go to their website, generalrents.com, and see all of the details. Of course, they are your source for all of your equipment needs, and, uh, you know, from big to small, uh, to from buying to renting. Whatever the job is, they've got the tool to help you get it done. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. They are located in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, Family-owned and operated now for three generations. And uh, go to General Equipment Rental, tell them you heard it here, and think outside your toolbox. Uh, there was one moment at the press conference uh, that just concluded uh, that uh, I'll, I'll bring to you tomorrow. And this is why you don't do these news conferences outside, <laughs> is because at the very end, some random guy on the sidewalk starts screaming out a question at the governor. And it was probably one of the hardest hitting questions that the governor has faced in the last year of his tightly scripted and managed press conferences. And uh, also, I think that the question from AP Dillon, probably the toughest question <laughs> he's got. Well, because it comes from a position of challenging, right? She's challenging an assumption that, oh, I can't do this. This bill was necessary. And her question challenged that assumption. And she was exactly right. It wasn't necessary. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review and think about becoming a patron. It's all at thepetecalendarshow.com. Thanks for listening and the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>